from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University. This is Writer's Talk. I'm Doug Dangler. Today, Ohioana Book Festival authors Donna McMeans and Cinda Williams-Chima talk to OSU students Bria Heidelberg and Joe Frazier, respectively, about their books. Enjoy! We are here today with Donna McMeans, author of Redeeming the Rogue which is a very interesting tale that actually is based on a little bit of truth. Would you mind explaining that to us? Well, yes. When I started the book, I was looking for a way to bring my heroine over to the United States. And I had found a reference that um, about the British delegation in the United States and how they had to go about finding a hostess for a bachelor diplomat. That reference was from 1881, and I thought that I would follow uh, the historical trend. However, I also discovered that in 1881 was the year that President Garfield was assassinated. So I figured as my heroine and my hero would be in Washington, D.C. at that time, I might as well go ahead and incorporate the assassination of President Garfield in with the story. That probably is the truth part that you're <laughs> <referring> <laughs> that, to. that kernel of truth. So could you describe the heroine to us? Because I know that there's been, readers have been introduced to her previously, but this was my first experience with her. So could you introduce her for readers that maybe read Redeeming the Rogue but hadn't read previous tales of her? Well, there's, this is the third of three books. But to be quite honest, I imagine that the people that read the previous two books really didn't have a feeling for Arianne uh, either. Because she just kind of was created in the very first book. And I think there's maybe two references to her existence. Uh, but I'm not even sure you even meet her at all in um, The Education of Mrs. Brimley. Then in The Seduction of a Duke, the second book, she only comes into the epilogue, and in the epilogue, you realize that there's um, that there's this this person, Ariane, who was instrumental in setting up the marriage of her brother. He didn't know it. So, when you were developing her character for this book in particular, how did she come alive for you? Oh, that's a tough one to answer. I knew that she had to have been traveling because she wasn't around very much in the first two books. And so as I thought about, well, what reason could there possibly be that she was traveling, I came up with the concept of um, domestic abuse. And in the, in the second book, in The Seduction of a Duke, we had learned that the father of the Duke was not the biological father. The, the father of her brother, the Duke, was not her biological father. So using that, I kind of took it forward into Redeeming the Rogue and what kind of thoughts that she would have related to that discovery. Um, and I think we see that more in Redeeming the Rogue. A lot of times with, with my writing process, I don't really discover the characters until I've written several chapters, and I think that's probably true here. So I got a better sense of Ariane as I was writing. You discussed briefly your decision to include domestic violence in the book. What prompted that decision, or was there, there more to that decision? It really occurred in the second book, In Seduction of a Duke. I don't really do a lot of plotting in advance. I know basic story structure. I know where the turning points should happen. 
And I just kind of let the story go um, organically after I get started. And when I did Seduction of a Duke, I discovered at the, uh, in the process of writing that story that the Duke's father was not his biological father. Uh, his biological father had had um, measles and was unable to conceive, and so he had sent his wife out to get pregnant so there would be that heir and a spare. But he still had very bad feelings about that and resented the children and he abused his wife because he kind of thought of her as cheating, even though she did this at his insistence. And um, I thought that if that was occurring in the household, and Arion would have been young enough that she would have witnessed that process. So it kind of really the concept that domestic violence really was born in Seduction of a Duke. And then I just had to carry that over as I'm following that same story thread into Redeeming the Rogue. Okay. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I followed the logic there. So I hear that there are maybe some birds near you. Are you by a window? Is it a comfy spot that might perhaps be your writing spot? Oh, well, actually, I'm inside, but I do have a screen porch on the on the back of my house. And that's where I do most of my writing, weather permitting. That's where I can kind of get lost and kind of put everything that's happening inside the house behind me. However, the door is open because if I close that door... I will melt, <laughs> given that it's a fairly warm day. So I hope the sound of the birds doesn't. No, I was just wondering if you could uh, cue me into as to some of your writing process and if you do get to have nice scenery when you're writing. I find that I do best uh, in my writing if I am in front of a window or someplace in nature. You know, during the day, I'm also an accountant. I'm a CPA. And my office is very much oriented to that professional accountant type thing, you know, with file cabinets and uh, just very structured. And I find that if I go outside or sit in front of a window where I, can, where I can see just nature, it's easier for me to get lost in my story. When I'm writing, I kind of see the story happening in my mind, almost like you're watching a movie. And I'm just recording what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing the characters say. And I'm able to get myself into that place if I'm outside. I have to get away from that office environment. You describe it as a very smooth writing process, but are there any bits of the writing process that you habitually dread or that are just always difficult? Well, part of the always difficult part, is, as I mentioned, I really don't do a heavy bit of plotting in advance. And so always the first couple chapters while I'm fleshing out my characters and kind of discovering their backstories and asking the, the what if kind of questions, that's always very difficult for me. Um, the first half of the book is difficult. My kids and my husband always uh, tease me because usually by the time I'm hitting the midpoint of the book, I'm going, oh, this is terrible. This is going to be a career-ending book. This is awful. <laughs> and I'm always right about page 200. And after I pass that turning point in the middle of the book, things just start flying and flowing together, and I can't write fast enough. Um, so the first half of the book is always kind of difficult for me, just establishing the characters and determining 
uh, really getting to know them to know what their inner conflicts are. The heroine of the story was a very strong character. And given the time period, did you find it difficult to write about such a strong female character in a time period that's not traditionally known for a lot of female empowerment, um, especially in the political realm? Actually, I think there were a lot of women in the Victorian time period, very strong women in the Victorian time period. I think we make the assumption that because they didn't have rights and uh, they weren't um, at, at the same rights that we do today, that they weren't as strong. And But I'd also point out that the suffragettes and whatnot came out of this era, and they, they had to fight for their rights. And a lot of times that's where... Our freedoms are based, and there's still uh, there's still a lot of inequity being female in the current environment. I mean, look at all the debate that's going on about um, wages, uh, female wages compared to male wages for the same position. Yet that doesn't mean that we don't have strong women today, and I think the same thing is true in this era. Plus, I'm writing romance. I'm writing romantic fiction. And fiction being the operative word. And I know that we're also talking about a modern reader is going to read this book. And I want the modern reader to be able to put herself into the role of the heroine. And in order to do that, it's got to be the type of um, the type of person that they could relate to. So it's more like a modern woman in this period. But I, I think to suggest that the women weren't very strong would be a misnomer because I think they were very strong back in this period as well. You're listening to Writer's Talk from the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University with my guest, Donna McMeans, talking to OSU student Bria Heidelberg. Moving on to another character. Now, he wasn't a major character, but was Phineas based on anyone that you know? Don't you love him? I loved writing Phineas. Here's, here's where Phineas came from. Um, I grew up with uh, the TV show, The Wild Wild West. Love that show. Uh, can't stand the movie, but I like the TV show. And the two characters on The Wild Wild West were uh, James Conrad, uh, James West, and he was the spy, um, the handsome uh, gun player, got all the women uh, character on the Wild Wild West. And I based Michael Rafferty on James West. James West's sidekick was Artemis Gordon. And Artemis Gordon was the chemist, was the actor. He could impersonate different, uh, play different roles. Um, He was a little bit of a magician. Uh, He just had a lot of theatrical talent. And I based my character, Phineas Connor. On, even the syllables match, you know, <laughs> um, Phineas Connor on Artemis Gordon. And I just love that character. My intent was to write the next book was going to be Phineas's story. Thank you. So I got <laughs> finished. And that fact, I had the Publishers Weekly Review was, was commenting that readers are going to just really be waiting for Phineas's story. Uh, however, bef- right about the time I finished this one, I came up with an idea for a really great new series And when I spoke with my agent, she thought that it would probably be best if I wrote the first book of the new series to finish out the contract. And so I did that. That book is coming out in June um, called uh, The Casanova Code. So I've got the series that's going on now uh, dealing with Victorian personal ads. 
I still have a book I want to do for Phineas. I just don't know when it's going to fall. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that, because I, I really enjoyed reading him. As a supporting character, you very seldom fall in love with a supporting person, but he was just so colorful. He was a good one. He was a good one. So I have one additional question about the writing of the your steamier scenes. It seems in a lot of romantic fiction, there are, are so many different phrases and terms for talking about more delicate things. Is there some sort of dictionary.com site that you all have access to? <laughs> Good question. Um, I'm, try- I'm just trying to think of the name of the book. I use a book called The Little Book of Filth. Uh, and it's, it's a, a smaller book with um, a picture of a bar of soap on the front. And I believe Goodwill Industries is one of the ones that uh, supplies the, the copies of the, I mean, they're not the publisher, but um, uh, that's one of their ways of making money is by sending out copies of The Little Book of Filth. Classy. <laughs> the Little Book of Filth has all the sexual terms for body parts, for activities, for just about anything through the ages. It has slang it has all sorts of stuff because it is difficult. You can't really use modern terminology. And the Victorian society was so repressed uh, when it comes to uh, sexual dialogue or comment. So uh, you have to be very careful in what words that you use that would fit the period. I find that to be an incredible <laughs> assistance. So there is a secret source. I was I was wondering. <laughs> uh-huh. Are you thinking of writing your own romance novel? No, I just always wondered. I've been reading romance novels for a long time, and it finally dawned on me. I was just like, where are they getting all of these <laughs> phrases from? That's where I get mine. I think there's other places or other sites, but that one works for me, probably because there's cartoons also in the book. So I can you know, look at the cartoons and as well as do the research. Two birds, one stone or one book, as the case may be. So for people that are interested in writing romance novels, what kind of advice can you give them for getting started? Oh, uh, this is an easy question. If you're going to write a romance novel and it's there really are certain, I hate to say rules because it's, there are unspoken rules that can be broken, but you can't break them unless you know what they are first. And the odds of getting published or being picked up are probably not the best if you're breaking the rules. The way to learn about romance novels is to join Romance Writers of America. And Romance Writers of America, I believe, is the largest publishing or um, organization that will accept unpublished authors as members. Most of the writing organizations require that you've published one or two books in order to join. So you can join as an unpublished author, and they have workshops, and they have uh, contests, and they have an excellent monthly magazine that comes out with all sorts of good articles. That's the first step. Then, I think every major city across the country has a chapter of Romance Writers of America where you can go to a monthly meeting and actually meet with other people that are doing the same thing and learn about the industry and and do the networking. In Ohio, there's four chapters. 
So in Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, and then there's one up by Toledo. And then there's a number of online uh, chapters where you don't even, there's no monthly meetings because they are online chapters, but they're more specific to like if you write romantic suspense or if you write historicals or um, if you write inspirationals, you can join those chapters and network with other writers that are writing the same thing you are for questions and whatnot. It really is a fabulous resource for anyone that's thinking about writing a, a romance novel. So you mentioned that you have another book coming out in June. Did you want to give readers a cue in as to what that book might be about? Oh, I'd love to, love to. I had um, a while back, someone sent me around Valentine's Day, sent me an article from uh, the New York Times magazine, and it was about Victorian personal ads. Man seeks woman, woman seeks man. Um, much better written <laughs> type of ads than that. But, uh, and I thought, you know, I think I can do something with this. So I was trying to figure out how I could use that article and the existence of these personal ads that would be placed in the newspaper, kind of like a, a Craigslist, only it was in the personal column of the newspaper. And I came up with an idea about a group of women who have uh, noticed, uh, because they have someone who works for the newspaper, that uh, a notorious rake is advertising for a quiet woman with the um, interest of marrying her. And they're thinking, why would this guy be interested in a quiet woman when he's got women hanging all over him? So they think the only reason could be is if he has nefarious plans for her. So they decide, these four ladies, decide to warn everyone that might be attracted to this personal ad as to whom the individual is that they're going to be meeting and that they might be in danger. And these four ladies call themselves the Rake Patrol. <laughs> and, of course, it turns out that the ad that this gentleman placed was not for himself. It was trying to attract or trying to find a woman for somebody else. But by the time they discover that, they've already warned off a lot of the, the women that were coming for the interview. And one of the ladies gets, um, because of circumstances, uh, the hero thinks that she is one of the women that is applying for the position or showing up for the interview. She happens to be able to read code, break code. And I discovered that a number of these personal ads or, or little ads that were placed in this column were written in code. Because it might be two people are communicating via the newspaper that really should not be communicating. They're setting up a rendezvous. They are, you know, they're both married, something of that nature. And so they would write things in code. So I decided to make my heroine a code breaker. And she can read basic code or break it and figure out what's, what's really being said. And she kind of gets drawn in um, through the personal ads into involvement in a secret society. Um, there's a little bit of Japanese erotica brought into this book. Uh, there's just all sorts of things happening, a mystery that has to be resolved by the end of the book. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good book. Casanova Code. Really like that title, too. Book one of the Rake Patrol. But that comes out in June. 
Okay, so all the the ladies in the group that you were mentioning, they're each going to have their own book as part of the series. Hopefully. Hopefully, that's the intent. But you know, you never know. <laughs> well, how much downtime do you give yourself in between writing books in a series? Well, I, if uh, any, I it takes me a long time to write a book. It takes me at least a year to write a book. I don't think there's a whole lot of downtime. What I find is when you put out a book, it's just turning it in. You're not finished. Once you turn it into your publisher. It just starts a whole other cycle of activities of things that need to be done. The publisher isn't necessarily doing the promotion of the book. That's really on to the writer. So uh, as the time approaches, like right now, I'm doing a lot of promotion for the Casanova Code, uh, as well as trying to write another book in the series. Uh, so it gets, and then you're also doing the edits and and whatnot. So there's a, a lot of stuff going on. I don't know if there's a whole lot of downtime. Probably I get, I'm usually thinking about the next book before I finish the current book. And I'll give myself a couple weeks before I really start working on the next book. But even, even working on the next book, because I don't plot heavily in advance, uh, it may seem like there's a longer period of downtime. But what I'm really doing is trying to figure out my characters and where the story's going to be set, all that kind of good stuff. Okay, so wheels are always turning, even if you're not physically writing. Right, and researching and all that kind of good stuff. Thank you for taking the time out to speak with us today. And if readers are interested in Redeeming the Robe, I would strongly suggest it. And we have Casanova Code to look forward to. And hopefully Phineas gets a book sometime in the, in the future. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that you're looking forward to one. That gives me a little motivation to get the current one done so I can get writing his book. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you. That was OSU student Bria Heidelberg talking to Ohio Anna Book Festival author Donna McMeans. And now, OSU student Joe Frazier talks to Ohio Anna Book Festival author Cinda Williams-Chima. I'm Joseph Frazier, and I'm here at the Ohioana Book Festival, and I am with uh, Cinda Williams-Chima, and she is the author of The Air Chronicles and Seven Realms, and she, is, she writes fiction for young adults. That's right. So why don't you just tell me about, about these two series and uh, the latest books in them? All right. Um, the first series that I wrote, The Air Chronicles, begins with The Warrior Air, and it's contemporary fantasy set in Ohio. Um, a 16-year-old high school boy discovers he's among the last of a guild of magical warriors. Um, there are three books in this series, The Warrior Heir, The Wizard Heir, and The Dragon Heir. My other series is High Fantasy. It's the Seven Realms series, and it begins with The Demon King. There are three books out now, The Demon King, The Exiled Queen, and The Grey Wolf Throne. And the fourth book in the series will be out in October of 2012. This is a story about a magical thief and a rebellious princess who work together to defeat wizards behaving badly. Okay. <laughs> and just tell me, how, why these stories for you? Why are these the ones you wanted to write? Well, I've always enjoyed reading fantasy, and I think it's important for writers to write what they love to read. Writing is hard enough. 
mm -hmm. you know, when without trying to write to the market. And when I began writing this series, my sons were 13 and 16. And I wanted, to, they enjoyed fantasy and I did too, and I wanted to write books that they would enjoy reading. Um, and I had a lot of material because I had two teenage boys living in my home. And this uh, series was really inspired by um, George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones series because I loved what he did with character. None of his characters were entirely good or entirely bad. And his, they were so layered and rich and um, I don't like the notion of a one-dimensional villain. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, I want to do that. So this is high fantasy, um, but it is aimed at I'm, I'm always interested um, when people write series. How far out do you know? Do you have, you know, seven up more books in your head <laughs> ready to go? Or is it, you know, a developing? Well, unfortunately, um, authors are either pantsers or plotters. And I'm a seat of the pants kind of person. Okay. And I actually created the world of the seven realms for an adult high fantasy series called The Starmarked Warder that I never finished. And so when I decided to try high fantasy for teens, I wrote 60 pages and I showed it to my agent. And he said, well, I'd like to pitch a three book deal. And I said, yeah, I think it's three books. <laughs> and it turned out it's four books. It didn't fit in the three books. The story arc I had didn't fit in the three books. And that's what happens when you don't plan things out way ahead. Uh, there's a lot more um, stories that could take place in the seven realms. You know, what I have to do is write them down. What, when you are writing between, did you write these two series uh, concurrently? No, I didn't. I okay. wrote the, the first three air books and then I began writing the seven realms. But I actually am under contract to write two more in the air series. Okay. So that will probably be the sorcerer air and the enchanter air. When you're writing a book for one of the series, do you find that you have to, you are totally engrossed in that one series and you don't, you can't really get outside and maybe think about the other series? That's pretty much the case. The only challenge when you're publishing a book a year is that you're almost always working on two books at once. The book that will be out next and you're working on the first draft of the next book. So for example, when I was working on The Crimson Crown, which is the fourth book in the Seven Realms series, I am also working on the first book in of the two new air books. So there's always going to be a certain amount of juggling if you're lucky enough to be publishing a book a year. So tell me a little bit about that writing process then. What do you jump to the keyboard as soon as you get out of bed? Is it kind of a, when you're winding down in the evening? Is it all day? Well, now that I um, am a full-time writer, I have the luxury of writing in the morning, which is my best writing time. Okay. Um, when I had a full-time day job, I would literally fall asleep with my face on the keyboard <laughs> at night, and, and I'd be thinking, you know, I'm, I'm competing with people that are actually awake when they're <laughs> writing, which was kind of frightening. So I get up in the morning, I work out, and then I begin to write, and I'll write up till 1 or 2 in the afternoon and then I'll take a break, have lunch, and then do business. There's actually quite a bit of emailing and business um, to go through when you have books out in the world. I, that's another part of the job that I never really anticipated. And where do these universes come from? Are they, are they pure imagination, or do you find yourself being influenced by the things you read, by the things you see uh, just in the world around? Well, this series is set in the magical world of Ohio. Okay. Now, I do have to explain to people in New York where Ohio is. 
and I actually brought a map to a New York <laughs> event. I did, you know, this is Ohio, this is what it looks like. So I had a lot of experience with this world. But any novelist engages in world building. For example, I have to put a New Yorker in Ohio, if, even if they've never been there. Um, this, um, I think anybody who writes high fantasy is influenced by Tolkien because a lot of the, um, the tropes um, that we have in fantasy come from him. You know, the idea of what elves look like and, and all of that. Um, also, I've been influenced by um, Tamara Pierce who writes high fantasy for young adults. Um, I read Mercedes Lackey and David Eddings back when I was a teenager. It was actually fantasy for adults. So I think we all stand on the shoulders of other writers. Um, what we have to do is put a different twist in it. Well, the, the series are The Air Chronicles and The Seven Realms and Cinda Williams' uh, Chima. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. From the Center for the Study and Teaching of Writing at The Ohio State University, you've been listening to Writer's Talk. More information about my guests can be found at www.writerstalk.org. Join me next week when OSU student Anne Lucy McGreevy talks to author Juno Diaz about his novels, including his most recent, This Is How You Lose Her. Also, OSU student Samantha Demerol reviews Liz for Your Dive and Bones author Kathy Reichs discusses her novels and television work with OSU student and Lantern reporter Haley Kim. Until then, this is Doug Dangler. Keep writing.